everybody, and welcome back to Tell Us What's in the Box. What's in the box, Danny? Old ladies with like tits hanging out. <laughs> yeah, just, just, and tree- <laughs> people eating trees and comic writers and yeah, people just stuffing people in trees and then eating so, them from yeah. within the tree oh. and. Yeah, it's in the box today. We are talking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We are talking about witches, the 2014 comic miniseries from Image Comics by Scott Snyder and artist Jock. You know he's cool because he's only got they've only got one name. Mm -hmm. I don't know gender of said Jock, but one name they got to be cool. So, and the colorist Matt Hollingsworth. Second Hollingsworth. That's Hollingsworth. Like, yes. That sounds like an ancient English lord, not a comic. Hollingsworth. If you're listening to this, it's it's a cool thing. We're not. Just... We. It is very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just check out the coloring work, though. It yes. is like it is really uh, gritty, grimy. The art, the art yeah. kind of really does sell this book. I think. Yeah. Um, Captures the honesty. mood perfectly. But um, we chose this particular graphic novel miniseries because it is ripe with relationships. Um, it is family relationships, town people relationships, relationships to your ancestors and who came before you, uh, relationships to yourself. Um, it just has a whole bunch of, of different relationships in here that we can talk about. So let's get into it. Uh, do you want to kind of give us a brief, like, what's this thing about? Where are we? Where well, are we all, all of these boxes, right? Um, <clears throat> so it's set in the town of Litchfield, New Hampshire. Which is a real place as a native uh, New Englander. I, I grew up about 45 minutes from Litchfield. <laughs> I was just about to ask, is that a legitimate town? Like, it is a legitimate town. <laughs> like Forks, Washington, Fitchburg, Marshfield, Plainfield. All them good old we, English we like, names. We, we like the bergs and the fields up there. Mm-hmm. You know, we like the bergs. Out here in the fields. <laughs> yes, Litchfield, New Hampshire <laughs> is a real place. A oh, tiny God. fucking place, I can tell you. It's yeah. like a town you could probably piss from one end to the other. Right. You That's definitely good. get that small town vibe. <laughs> from one end to the other. In witches. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, it's small town, as yeah. in... There's no movie theater. Denny's is, is an hour away. Um, there's one school for kindergarten all the way up to high school. That kind of small town. <laughs> oh, that explains a lot about these characters. <laughs> but, yes, it does. <laughs> um, so yeah, it takes place in the small town, um, the Rook family, <clears throat> and which is made up of the dad, Charlie, Lucy the mom, um, and Sailor, the daughter. Um, there's also Reg Rooks, who is their uncle. But I feel like most of it is focused on like the three person, like direct family unit. But basically, yeah. um, they're in there where, where they lived previously. An incident happened with Sailor and a bully by the name of Annie um, that turned into kind of like a big media sensation. Um, 
And so they moved to Litchfield to try to get away from it. But everybody already kind of knew who Sailor was. And to make a long story short, you find this out at the very beginning of the uh, comic. Um, everybody thinks that she killed this bully Annie or she went missing or that Sailor had something to do with it. But you find out that it actually has to do with these um, witches that uh-huh. are in town. Um, also in Litchfield, which the Rook family has an ancestral connection to. Uh-huh. Um, the mother. The mother. The, uh, the mother. I through, grew up there, yeah. Yeah, through the maternal line, right. Yeah. <clears throat> so as soon as they get to Litchfield, all of this ancestral kind of history and lore with these like yes witches but i'm like trying to think of like the like, right that's what they call them uh, yeah, um, but they're but... like they're kind of like natural like woodsy creatures i mean they call them witches and that's witches with a y so w-i-t-c-h yeah yes um so but they're not like you know, human looking mm-hmm. as far as, as far as, you know, you get in, in the book. So yeah. it, um, they almost feel like closer to like Irish folklore of the Fae because with the whole, like, oh, you pledge somebody to us as like a sacrifice yeah. to appease us. And they're kind of tricksters and. Which actually is kind of interesting because New Hampshire as a state, really does have a lot of that kind of folklore. You know, there's kind of a place called the New Hampshire Stonehenge. Oh. Did you know that? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I'm a West Coast girl, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so a lot of the folklore and stuff in like Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine mm-hmm. is a lot of that kind of old school fae stuff, like scary fae, not like, you know, sparkly pastel fae with wings, but like, you know dark fae Mm -hmm. like dark court fae you know the real like horror urban legends you know or like old folk tales and stuff like that is kind of the kind of stuff you'll see in that Mm -hmm. new england area mostly because you know new england was settled first so they kind of held on to at least settled first by europeans let's let's be real um but you know (laughs) The, the, when the Europeans came over, that was the area that settled first. So that stuff kind of carried and has a very heavy influence in those areas. Mm-hmm. Cause that's where you get New Hampshire, New York are all named after, you know, places in England and yeah. all that. So the legends and lore and stuff like that really does have that feel to it. So, I mean, already we've got, you know, relationships to your ancestors and like relationship to your past you know, Sailor trying to run away from her past and like her mother and her family kind of using their heritage, like going back to where they came from, quote mm-hmm. unquote, by moving back to Litchfield, by moving to Litchfield. It's also on top of that, it's important to note um, one of the very first things you find out about the mother is that she is bound in a wheelchair. And that's important because that comes up later in the graphic novel once you get into more of the witches and pledging and everything yeah. else and how sailor and also her dad to an extent is at the center of it yeah mom's a bitch mom's <laughs> so. a bitch yeah <laughs> Oof. yeah indeed yeah that's 
kind of the gist of it. So, yeah, I mean, so, you know, uh, Sailor moves into town and, you know, you kind of get her relationship to, to some of the, you know, the kids that are there and her like prickliness about and worry about her reputation. So, you know, her, you know, her, her relationship with like her past and identity as she goes to this new school, she's apprehensive, Mm -hmm. you know, she's already not predisposed, you know, she, she, she knows everyone knows what happened and what people accused her of. So, you know, it doesn't start off really on the right foot of her going to school and everything. Um, you know, the swim team, she tries out for the swim team and meets um, Melina, mm-hmm. um, the, the other girl there. And, but when she does that, she starts having these weird uh, dreams and stuff like that. These night terrors, like her family, she has night terrors. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, that's kind of where it starts. Like these things start to get worse for her these night terrors and stuff and and everything yeah um so i mean i guess the most important relationship here or one of the big ones is you know sailor and her dad oh yeah so, you know usually we kind of save the big relationships for last but this is a mini series and because their relationship posed so much of it i think maybe we should talk about it first so because we're going to kind of probably relate everybody else to that relationship so um we should probably talk about that first i mean how do you feel her relationship with her dad how do you feel like what was their relation Mm -hmm. like what did you get from that oh my god she's daddy's little girl you know her dad would go to the end of the earth and pass that for his daughter do anything for his daughter and we see that consistently throughout the entire graphic novel i mean the very first interaction we see with them in the beginning is him giving her this pep talk before she goes off to school but it's like their own personal pep talk where they're making like kind of demented jokes and talking about um griffins and things and things like that you know so it's very it's very cutesy it's very playful so it's clear that they have a very good relationship with each other yeah although Oh, go ahead. But yeah, the, the the mom will get into that. But yeah, it, they're they their dad and daughter are super tight. Yeah, they are. Um, they do, and that's what we see. But I think I also think that it's mm-hmm. important to note that you get it gets intimated. At least I don't I don't know if you got the mm-hmm. same thing. You can correct me if you didn't get the same thing I did. But that he wasn't always like that. I think I got the impression that he was a drinker Mm -hmm. and was not always like there for the family, you know, he, he, you know, he drank or, or something like that. And, you know, was not always like the dad we see at the beginning of the book. Um, That, yeah, that's a completely, totally fair assessment too. Yeah. Um, Which I think also kind of explains why at the beginning he seems like, like he tries really, really hard to be this person because he was kind of a shitty dad in the past. Yeah. So what, whatever it is, he's trying really hard to make amends for that. Um, but of course, his family hasn't completely forgotten about it. 
you know. Right, because so. we get the little flashbacks to the Ferris mm-hmm. wheel um, episode where I guess he was drunk on the Ferris oh. wheel. Remember? Yeah. He's like try, having her climb up to him and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe that, I think that's, I think maybe we're supposed to glean from that 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 was kind of the incident when Sailor almost died because he was, yeah. you know, being a jerk. I think maybe, maybe what we were seeing there, because we see that moment, maybe what we were seeing there was uh, mm-hmm. the moment where, it changed for him where he realized how he was acting was bad and had consequences. I think, I think maybe that's why they showed it to us. Yeah. And I mean, it normally when you put a, a flashback in any story, it's a device that is best used to help the reader understand or to better contextualize what's going on in the present and allow them to kind of see whatever it is, a relationship, whatever, through a different lens. So there could be subtleties about an interaction between a character and another one that now reads completely different when you're given that information. So Mm -hmm. absolutely, once you get to that point in the story, there's several things that you can kind of go back to in the beginning that kind of turn that proverbial light bulb on in yeah. your head and you're like oh oh yeah. shit he fucked up yeah <laughs> like- and i think just from just from a writer perspective i mean i can see why they did that as a flashback yeah um because you have to establish his his likability like you have to make us like feel for him and like be like oh he's a nice character he's a nice dad he's a good dad and all of that stuff so you have to make us like empathize with him and like kind of like attach to him before you show us this past yeah, <laughs> because i think yeah. if, if you did that first and showed what he did it would be a lot harder you know if you showed the the ferris wheel incident first absolutely you know but by doing it out of order like that because you know some old wisdom trope is saying you know you should never do flashbacks and stuff like that but you know it's like with any (laughs) writing advice you know you got to know what it's for and what it does first yeah you can use it that's really the purpose of that advice i always thought so in this instance you get to empathize see that he's a good dad and and like him and and be be ready to like give him the benefit of the doubt um because you know how it turns out when you see that this thing happened that he was drunk and like forcing his daughter to climb this ferris wheel yeah and everything and 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 all of that so you know that kind of gives us like oh this happened but he's not like that anymore so it gives us that deepening having that in that order i think and so we see why they are Mm -hmm. so close because he had to wise up so so he really uh you know works on that relationship with his daughter absolutely plus by having the having that the um the ferris wheel scene later on like you're immediately building trust with your reader to trust not just the relationship between dad and daughter but with the father himself you know, it's, it's, it's 
like meeting a person in real life who has, you know, a very rough past, but they worked really hard to get through it. And now they're a completely different person. You know, you don't have all that emotional baggage with that person's past. So you just have the person in front of you that you, that, that, you know, so it's easier to see them for who they are now rather than who they were in the past. So it, it, if we met the dad, when he was this, the drunk, neglectful asshole, we probably like, we would one have to have a much longer story in order to get yeah, to build up the trust, you know, because yes. then I think at that point it would be a transition story. And yeah. not exactly the story that that which is 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 about really. Yeah, um, it would have to be a change, you know, like a life change yeah. kind of story. Not to mention Charlie's the kind of the big savior at the end. Yeah, right? you know, and we see kind of, and we get to see some of the experiences that led to why he does the things he does. Yeah. Um, you know, because he kind of learned from the past and everything. So, Mama didn't. No, mom. <laughs> um, we'll get to yeah. We'll get we'll get to you know. I think that's the one we might save to yeah. Last. But, that's um, that's the juicy juicy relationship. That's that's the box that's had the dead body sitting it over a week. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like turned to goo and mush, <laughs> and it's Just wet and gross. <laughs> Awesome. May or may not have watched a couple episodes yes. of CSI the last, like, <laughs> last night. So don't blame bed. us for holding off on opening that. Book. <laughs> um, oh, you you don't need to open it. It's already it's already breaking apart because it's, it's just too heavy, because it's too wet with it's people too- juice. Like, oh, oh no, <laughs> oh no. See, this is when we'd have video if we weren't a podcast. It'd just be a video of this drawing some some rendition of this. um yeah (laughs) um so yeah let's talk about um reg the uncle a little bit go for it um let's let's talk about his relationship to the family he seems to be a pretty stabilizing figure i think in his relationship with the family he seems to be pretty level-headed and concerned I mean, if I'm not, yeah. you know, reading it wrong, uh-huh. um, you know, pretty level-headed and concerned with what's going on in the family because right. he knows the story. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of encouraging Charlie to finish the book that he's working on. And, you know, then he comes over to try to help them put in um, the moms because we mentioned the mom was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of those things to go up and down stairs, you know, he puts, you know, he's help, helps Charlie mm-hmm. put in one of those and they have a talk with him asking, you know, what's going on um, and all of that stuff. So I think he's a pretty stabilizing figure in here, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, where like charlie like if 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 you think about sailor charlie and lucy all three of them have had have gone through like some pretty traumatic events in their life obviously lucy with what the accident Mm -hmm, car accident with the car with with the car accident and that's the whole reason why she's in a wheelchair um charlie dealing with alcoholism and getting his shit together and then sailor obviously now being like she's a teenage killer blah 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 blah, you know and just having like have not being able to really form any 
solid friendships because just like what we talked about with with Charlie, she's going in to this new town and these people already have opinions of her. So they're not, she doesn't even have like a real chance to mm. form an organic friend friendship. But Reg, he has none of this baggage. Yeah. So he 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 definitely is not just like the most stable of the family, but more like a huge foundational support because he has the emotional bandwidth to yeah. help out them. all yeah. all of the family. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think I'd like to uh, maybe go to Sailor a little bit yeah. and talk about what's going on with her. And I think with her, the main thing is, you know, we've kind of talked about her and her relationship with her dad and everything. And she seems to have a decent relationship with her uncle and her mother mm-hmm. um, at the beginning. Um, but I think the main thing was Sailor because she is kind of by herself most of the time with what we see of her. Yeah. I think her real struggle is the one that's internal. Like the stuff that's going on with her, um, yeah. with what she saw with the bully, the bully just being snatched and yeah. killed in front of her um and everything like that uh so it really is i mean we get to see one of her diary entries where she's you know musing on whether she's going you know out of her mind you know essentially like what's wrong with her yeah and all this stuff so you know i think her relationship in here is really one of of her internal struggle of what signals she's getting and still trying to be normal you know yeah. And I mean, obviously what she went through, she witnessed a supernatural event that was tied to these witches and which by her ancestral bloodline, she is tied to, um, but also because, spoiler alert, she gets pledged. So, and that kind of, it it reopens old wounds that haven't exactly been closed for her. Um but I mean, yeah, you try to be normal after wit- witnessing the this fucking bully chick get pulled into a tree and like eaten or disappeared or something, you know, when she was like prepared to fucking stab her, basically, yeah. basically. Um, which obviously didn't happen because she the bully pulls pulls out a gun. Um, but of course, the way that that scene is written. I'm just sitting there going, yeah, and he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really don't have a lot of sympathy. No, you're just like you and um and it all it all comes down to like Annie blatantly spells out why she picked on Sailor. And it was just because she didn't she didn't like her. It was because she Yeah, she I just hate you. Like that's it. Yeah. <laughs> no reason, just I hate you. Just whatever. Yeah. I mean you can you dig deeper but then you know we're projecting other reasons why kids bully other kids on onto annie when it's not there in the text but usually when kids bully somebody else it's right they have internal struggles themselves yeah and i mean and this is like a common theme in horror that when something like that happens like annie bullying sailor or or you know like a horrible thing like threatening her physically or any other crime right you just want to have a reason right somebody gets assaulted or somebody gets raped or somebody gets broken into you know it's kind of almost our human nature to come up with a reason 
Yeah. Like, and, and that's, and that's, and that's where victim blaming comes from, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, the reason this happened was because of, you know, you, you left the door unlocked, you know, or, you know, you, you were wearing some particular thing or you said this particular thing or, or whatever. And often like in the case with Annie and some other things that have, you know, happened in horror um mm -hmm. one that comes to mind is the strangers um you know if you ever saw mm -hmm. that movie just briefly like they ask yeah. them why these guys are doing it and they just go you were home yeah. you know it, it's that idea of there really is no reason yeah there really is and we talked about this with um the albert fish game master yeah. casey we talked about this about how you know, in real life, when you look at these sort of events, you know, assault, bullying, you know, murder, whatever, that sometimes there is a reason, but just as often, and often the pattern is it doesn't make sense yeah. at all. You know, it just, just whatever, you know, it just happens. There is no reason. And that's often the hardest thing to deal with because we want to have a reason. We can't believe that we can be a good person, not hurt anybody, and do anything and yet this horrible thing happens to us yeah you know like with annie she's like i've never done anything to you i've never said anything to you i've never you know whatever you know mm -hmm. you know because she wants to understand you know because she doesn't understand how this could be happening to her when she didn't do anything to deserve it yeah you know and and that's a that's a hard truth and that's that's horrifying you know if we're talking about horror that's horrifying you know, a lot of people have a definition of horror as jump scares, you know, or blood or mask or whatever. And, and that's not all that horror is. Yes, it can be scary, but horror is not always what scares you. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's, it's what, what you, you find horrifying, you know, and yeah. that sort of stuff, that stuff happening to people without any reason is horrifying yeah. because then there's nothing you can do to protect yourself. It doesn't matter how good a person you are. It doesn't matter how nice you've been or what good you've done. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's like cancer. That's why cancer is horrifying and getting sick is horrifying because it doesn't matter what you've done. If you jogged or whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's, that's more horrifying almost. That lack of control. That lack of control. Yeah. Then some of the other stuff that happens mm -hmm. that does have a reason in this novel, you know, even if yeah. they're selfish reasons that happen in this graphic novel, that's at least reasoning, right? Yeah. This doesn't. So I guess, I guess my argument on all of that <laughs> soapbox I got on was the fact that that might be the most horrifying thing here. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly what the witches rep represent. They're just a physical manifestation of that lack of reason. You know, even even though story-wise, yeah, you have to physically seek them out and then you pledge somebody to make something come true in your life, which we're building up to. It's a big, big part of this um, graphic novel. But the, the witches are that physical, they're, they're that yeah that physical manifestation of just yeah you were home uh yeah you were, there. You were pledged uh, so i don't like you yeah yeah pledged is pledged 
as they say in the graphic novel. Yeah. You know, so it's not necessarily the person who pledged you, but that's the uncontrollable part. But, you know, they have to pick somebody to pledge. Yeah. So, and then once that happens, then, then you have no control over it and you might yeah. not know why. And there might not be a reason, you, you know. You can fight back, which they obviously do at the end and to kind of go back uh, to what we were talking about how like charlie basically kind of sacrifices himself at the end to save sailor you know he puts all that i'm that goo i'm i'm gonna call it pledge juice all (laughs) all over him fun times This one time pledge juice um i always said one of my dream roles was to be so some to, to get a role where I have to be doused in fake blood and I have to get like a metal heavy metal singer to like teach me how to scream like uh, I always said that's like my dream role any role where I have to do those things I'd be all about just just, just a side note spray down with fake blood <laughs> like yeah. Oh man, I would do that for free. Who <laughs> call us somebody if you're listening to call this us. and have the do power you, to make it happen? Do you need an extra to spray down with gallons of fake blood? Well, I know two women who would love that. Who would be down? <laughs> would be down. But yeah, spreads the pledge juice all over him to try to detract the witches away from Sailor. Because what happens is she gets these voices and she's trying to figure it out and get away because she realized she's been pledged. And so she kind of goes off into the woods and then her dad like goes after her. And uh, in order to save her from being taken because she's been pledged, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he does sacrifice himself, you know, because how witches work, I think we can go into that now. Oh, yeah. Is what you do is if you want something, like anything, you know, if you want money or to be famous or to be healed of some disease or whatever, you can ask the witches of it, but you have to pledge somebody, which means you put them to this juice on them and then the witches will take them as like a human sacrifice and that's what you have to do in exchange um so that's what happened yeah not creepy totally not creepy you know and uh and then you know what you find out is um you know one of the twists is you think oh you know somebody's been doing this and everything like that but one of the other horrifying turns you know which which is, again, it's not the witches themselves. It's the people who actually feed into what they represent or do things on their own yeah. that are more horrifying because you find out that the whole town, the cop, the, the friend at school, like the whole town is in on it. Like they all, they all ask for stuff and like pledge people so they can have whatever they want. Yeah. And it's- uh, That's- yeah, that's the most terrifying thing. Because, I mean, at least with the witches, I mean, one, you won't, well, I mean, you would know if you if you were pledged because you get that goo Mark. on you. But yeah. yeah, but if you're not, if you're not in the know of what, what these witches are, like, you won't necessarily understand why they're coming after you. But since the rest of the town is in the know and they know what to do, that makes that, yes, it makes them a hundred percent. They're more, they're scarier. Yeah. Which is themselves. Yeah. Because, I mean, because what you see is then, then you're a participant in it. 
yeah. you won't do anything. You know, you see this person who has been pledged running away, begging for help, whatever. And you see that in the beginning where the little boy is just like, well, pledge is pledge. And then wax her, wax his mom, wax his mom. Yeah. You know, like, well, pledge is pledge, whatever. Whack. You yeah. know, and so you just stand by and like let it happen. Like, oh, well, they got pledged. I guess that's too bad for them, you know, because you don't want to ruin your good time. You don't want to ruin, you know, what you got going on or what you asked the witches for or whatever. Yeah. You know, you don't want to mess with it. And, you know, that's, that's the worst part. You know, the Annie part and, and the town doing that is kind of worse than what the witches do. Because you imagine that's just their nature, right? You know, that they're supernatural creatures. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's the fact that you can get people to participate in it. That's the more horrifying part. You know, yeah. you get people to be complicit in this, in this act, in this ritual, you know, yeah. when they could and easily if, not to, as long as they accept, you know, the stuff that happens to them in their life. But then you think, what might, you know, because then it makes you reflect on like, what would I do? Like, what would have to happen mm -hmm. for me to actually even consider doing something like that yeah would someone have to die could i bring them back if someone close to me died would i be willing to sacrifice somebody else somebody i don't know you know just walk down the street with this pledge juice you know and just yeah. be like can i can i just spray some random person on the street or do i have to have a personal connection you yeah. know and normally when you we look at a lot of like um i guess tropes around the same topic like anything that requires some sort of like major sacrifice human or not like if you want to get something back or something that's really near and dear to your heart you have to give something up for it and that's no no different here um and that's kind of is this is this a good turning point to get into the mom i think so <laughs> Oh yeah, it's about time for that now. I think this is a perfect homage. <sighs> oh, mommy dearest, never quite got over her car accident. I mean, obviously she became paralyzed, which is absolutely horrible. But she never dealt with the emotional aftermath of it. So, what does she do? She pledges her daughter, Sailor. Yep. Mm. Yeah. So she can walk again. So she can walk again. And tries to convince the husband to let it happen because, well, they can make another one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can make another one. It's fine. We won't even remember her. You know, like all this other stuff. That, yeah. No. If that, if that, if that was me and I was there seeing that happen, I would have like you know, pushed her down the stairs again after, you know, she was healed. But it kind of goes to show you, like, she never, ob obviously, she never loved her daughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah. What's your take yeah, on yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. one of those things where, you know, maybe whatever happened, you know, she just decided, just decided that, that, you know, it was okay. Something, something clicked and was like, oh, this is, this is an okay thing to do. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be fine because I won't even know she existed. So I won't remember. I won't feel bad about it. You know, yeah. I don't, I mean, it's just, it's often hard for us who don't know to kind of try to sit there and put yourself in that mindset and be like, what can you possibly be right. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, let's sacrifice our daughter, but you know, oh, they'll erase our memories. So we won't remember what we did. So we won't have the emotional burden of it. But it's like for you to even bring up that as a suggestion in the first place just means you're a despicable human. Yeah. And we find out that, you know, the mom was related to the Cray that we saw in the beginning, like the the family where the kid killed the mom and everything. So she knew she knew what was going on and, and probably her suggestion to move to Litchfield. I think maybe we get some intimation of that too. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, if I go here, then, you know, I can, you know, get the witches to do their thing and, and all that stuff, you know, it'll be easier, even though they were, it'll be easy here, you know, and all that stuff. Um, cause the town understands, right. You know, because the witches showed up where they were, but you know, that probably wouldn't probably be as easy far away from Litchfield, you know, to yeah. get pledge juice, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I am punish. <laughs> what's what's also really sad too is by the end, like the only person on Sailor's side is Charlie, mm-hmm. and like her schoolmates have turned against her, the town have turned against her. You know, they're they've like you mentioned before, they've all made deals with witches and they all want to see her dead and it's like okay their their assumptions of her of what happened with annie that's when you realize like oh they've they've known about these witches the whole time then they probably have all have also known that sailor never did it that they probably that it was probably a witch mm-hmm they're all fucking evil, Danny. They're all evil, the whole town. <laughs> if free or be pledged. That's an answer motto. Pledge, just pledge. What kind of fucked up sorority is this, man? Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot to think about, you know, like, what, you know, because I think this thing, I mean, what are, what are you thinking are kind of the big overarching themes here like in terms of like relationships I guess you know like what are the overarching kind of themes or even just in general themes I guess and then we can yeah. like it so I kind of a little bit did a little bit of research on the development of this um and apparently um Scott Snyder initially came up with the idea for the story um because when he was a kid, him and one of his friends at the time would make up stories of Satan worshipers who like lived in the forest in <laughs> Pennsylvania. I and I'm do. like, oh, I mean, everybody does that do. when they're a kid, right? Do, everybody I, does that. My I mean. oh, oh my god! When let's see, like freshman initiation night at the college that I went to, and this was in Redlands. One of the things that they did was tell you local ghost stories. And one of them was, don't go into the orange groves. Because Red, Redlands was always known for their orange groves. Like, I want to say back in the early 20th century, um, mm-hmm. they produced the most oranges in the entire U.S. 
Mm. So now we like associate oranges with Florida, Florida. and shit, but yeah. no, 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 no. That was fucking Redlands, right? So, but they would always say, oh, don't go into the orange groves at night because you can get kidnapped by somebody who, worship, who worships the devil and then they're going to take you and like kill you in a ritual and like draw a pentagram with your blood. And it was just the crazy. <laughs> and all the actual Satanists were like, what? yeah it's it's like one of those things that i guess yeah that would be something that kids would make up and i guess he just from what you're saying just turned it yeah. into this yeah so he so and it the story evolved from from there um but also one of the, like the main overarching themes is um parental fear and wanting mm. to protect your child 24 seven, but not being able to do to either your own personal inability to do that or because of forces beyond your control. And I'm not, of course, not a parent myself, but growing up with a very Italian mother and grandmother that was always, who are you going with? Where is it? You have to check oh, in man. every hour, et cetera, et cetera. You, you I- know. Having to again relinquishing control, right? It is the hard. It's it's a scary thing. Yeah, for a, lot, a lot of people. That makes sense. That it's really about you know the relationship between parent and child, yeah. and that there are certain things you just can't protect your child from, even if you want to. You know what I mean? Like you can do everything you try to help them and everything like that, and it still might not be enough. Yeah, something you know? just happen. Yeah, things just happen. Again, it goes back to the what we were talking about, Annie, and in the in the town. You know, it's like there's it doesn't make sense. There's no logic to it. Yeah. You know, like you hear stories about kids who lost a child in a car accident or to a drunk driver or stuff mm-hmm. like that. A kid who was like 17 or 18 or whole life. I mean, uh, when I worked at the medical examiner's office, we had a kid who was 15 and got hit by a car while he was rollerblading. And just gone. I mean, those are things, there's no reason, you know, it was an accident, you know, it's just this stuff happens and there's no reason for it. And as a parent, you can't, I'm not a parent either, but you know, I know enough parents to know that, you know, there's just certain things you can't protect your child from as much as you might want to, you know, you can try and prepare them as best you can, you know, prepare them as best you can to handle whatever it is, but there's just some, I mean, you can't prevent them from getting hurt. You can't prevent either physically or heartbreak, you know, you you just, you can't. And that's a, a, you know, like we were talking about, that's, that's a hopeless, that's a helpless feeling, that helpless feeling, you know, we always want a reason. We always want, you know, we want to have control. Like you were saying earlier, Mm -hmm. we want to be able to control it. And there are just things like the witches here and, you know, Annie and car accidents and all sorts of other stuff that we just, we can't. Yeah. As much as we might want to, you know, we just, we can't control it, you know? Yeah. Kind of goes back to nail, to nail biter as well. Like you're, the con, yeah. the concept of destiny. Yeah. 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 That, that there are things that you just can't control. Yeah. Like there's things that you're just supposed to do or things that were just supposed to happen to you, you know? Yeah. And, and it, and it can make some bitter people. You know, it really can. People who have things 
that happened to them that they didn't deserve. Yeah. You know, so. Like the mother. I'm sure she didn't deserve to be in a car accident. Right. But, you know, unfortunately turned her into a better person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what, what would, I mean, what would we do, you know, if you had that power to just try to change things like that, you know? I don't know. Somebody, somebody, sorry, go. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm like, you know, I'd like to think that I would be, you know, if you were going to ask for anything, you know, you, you would ask for something big. Yeah. Something not, not selfish, but like world peace or, you know, like nobody living in poverty or nobody or, or something like that, you know, I wish for a Star Trek utopia. Yeah. Yeah. Space travel, everything. Don't, don't need money, have rep replicators, you know, people just work to better themselves. Money's the root of all evil. Yeah. (laughs) True. True, true. And if, if, if this was Star Trek, then the mom could just go get a new spine and then she'd be fine. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> if Indeed. work can get a new spine, the mom could get a new spine. That's true. That's true, <laughs> she could. I mean, you know, but it's hard to think that that's not where we live. You know, that's what we want. Yeah. You know, it's wish fulfillment. But, you know, this is really more about, like, you know, what you can't do, yeah. you know, what you don't have control over. And, you know, we talked about the coloring and the art and stuff earlier, but I thought the art really kind of supported a lot of that. Yeah. You know, so it I supported mean, a lot of the theme if you look at the art. At it. Yeah, I keep turning back to this one picture. I think it's of the dad, just his torso. Stomach, yeah. Yeah, his stomach. And just, um, if you if you haven't, if those of you who are listening who haven't, read this yet the coloring of it it's it get it's very orangey and brown it's very also kind of rustic yeah Um, it's like rough and rustic so it kind of gives you this kind of chaotic feel which I think really feeds into that um you know, feeds into that idea of not being able to control. Like, I think some of the the more rustic kind of art style kind of does lend to that um, chaotic, yeah. being out of control almost kind of feel. Yeah, absolutely. And to talk about the body horror of just this one shot, yeah. I mean, it, it says the word here in his veins. It's like his veins have taken on a life of their own and have like retwisted around. You know, again, not having control. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. That's why people, you know, because it's invasive, you know, that's why body horror works. You yeah. Know, it's invasive. Um, not- and, and so, and again, it's like, you think your body is the one thing you have control over, unless you're a woman. But let's be real about that. Yeah. But, you know, in general you know, we fight for control of our bodies, you know, women Mm -hmm. have been fighting for control of our bodies, you know, and so the idea of it failing, or doing things you don't want it to do, or don't expect it to do, uh, is horrifying, and that's what's kind of horror, and I think the art kind of, kind of does give that, um, give that idea as well. Yeah, grim, 
grimy, dirty, rough. Like if it was actually a real thing and you touched it, God, you go get a tetanus shot immediately. Like that's what I think of when I think of like some, some of the drawings there. Yeah, and and you get an interesting because you know you think it kind of ends at the end, but then you mm-hmm. get that little story at the end. Did you get that in your copy? The little like story, little issue at the end. Um, after everything's done with that guy, I'm looking at it right now. It's after the process part in the book. Process. Uh, yeah. Oh, af- after the yeah. black and white sections. Yeah. You get a little outside like, epilogue. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of get this other little story that like this cycle is pervasive. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah, this dude sacrificing his niece, nephew. Oh, God. Why is it always the children? Well, I guess it also, again, taps into that parental fear of adults like sacrificing a child. Because when you look at anything that's bad on the news, even if you read serial killer stories, even if somebody only murders adults, that's still somebody's child. That's still somebody's baby. Yeah, and I think the idea that it was a baby like or a kid, you know, it's like, oh, well, they haven't been here that long, so... You know, they won't be missed that much. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, because the mom was like, oh, we can have another one, you know, or whatever. And this this guy said the same thing. You know, you can just have another baby. Like, it's not a big deal. You know, which is opposed to, which is kind of an interesting thing because it's opposed to, um, I heard a story about in Japan, they needed people uh, to go and clean up this hi- highly radioactive area mm-hmm. in Japan with lots of radiation, you know, cancer-causing radiation. Yeah. And in Japan, what ended up happening was all these elderly people, like 70s and 80s, volunteered to go because they were like, we only have like maybe 10, 15 years left. Yeah. You know, like they were at the end of their lives. So they went and cleaned up you know help you know help clean up all this radiation so that the younger people their children and grandchildren wouldn't have to that they could have longer lives because they'd already lived 70 and 80 years would not have to deal with either disease or cancer or mental impairments or other disabilities caused but that kind of sacrifice you know as you were talking about star trek you know as spock says the needs of the many Outweigh the, outweigh the needs of the, the few. few or the one. Oh, God, they're so beautiful. <laughs> I still cry every time I watch I that part of the movie. <laughs> R.I.P. Leonard Nimoy, but oh. you know, do we have that? Like, we think it's a beautiful sentiment, but how often do we live up to it, right? How often do we put a bunch of other people's needs before our own, which is really a lot of what this is talking about, too, like parental fear, but the people who pledge other people, mm-hmm. you know, are putting their needs above anybody else's. They're selfish. Their lives or yeah. anything else, you know. How often, how often does that happen? How often yeah. do we do that? We like to think that we would live up to that ideal. That yes, of course we would sacrifice for the greater good. But, uh, you know, not, not to uh, talk about the elephant in the room, but as we have seen, at least here in America, uh, 
people can't even wear fabric over their faces for the yeah. good. So, I mean, obviously, at least in our Western culture here in America, we have a long way to go. We have yeah. a, like, a long way to go before <laughs> we're at that point. I mean, Absolutely. I mean if, if we, if we, you know, we can't even wear fabric over our faces. How do yeah. we expect anybody to like not pledge somebody else? You know, you'd like to think, oh, that doesn't happen. It's just a horror movie. But you know, as we find out, you know, a lot of time the truth is a lot more horrifying as we yeah. talked about with the Albert Fish one too, you know, often the real world is way more horrifying than anything anybody can put into a graphic novel or a book or anything like that, you know? Uh, pretty horrifying sometimes as a species. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And that kind of brings up like another um, o- overarching theme, or at least it in witches, it kind they like it like goes like tandem with each other. Um, you have Charlie, who's this embodiment, at least at the end of like being all self-sacrificing and everything. And then you have the mom who's the complete opposite end, who's willing to sacrifice anybody else to save herself. And it's very telling when you have a story when everybody is willing to sacrifice you to save themselves or to get something that they want. Mm-hmm. You know, what is, you know, a, a, a lot of the stuff that we, you know, talk about on, on our podcast, like really kind of makes you examine your own relationships, like to society, how society is toward you, you know, who can you trust, who's going to throw you under the bus the first moment they get. And this idea of your family is supposed to be there for you, but at the same time, that's not the reality in every household, not just in America, but all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 reality, and I think that's what horror. You know, when you talk about relationships and horror, that's why it kind of illuminates. You know, I mean, you like to say, you know, some people, if they're trying to be, you know, deep, dark, brooding soul horror writer, you know, horror writer, I am the boogeyman, whatever. They're trying to posit that they're like, oh, well, it illuminates human nature. You know, it illuminates the darkest parts in our basal instincts and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. When you can really look at it at a different way, you can look at it as it illuminates what we could be by showing yeah. us our baser nature. It illuminates who we could be, what we could aspire to be, you know, by showing us, by essentially holding us up a mirror to our, to our, the nasty stuff that we do as humans. Yeah. The thing, the people that we sacrifice and all of that stuff, it holds up a mirror to that. Not to just say that we're ugly or we have no hope, but that, there is hope that, that we can be better. Like this is what you've done, but you can, you know, give, show us how we can be better to show yeah. us that, that there are, there are people out there that we can be that. Yeah. And I want to, 
I, you know, I wouldn't totally say that at the end of every like horror story, there is a beacon of hope or it ends with hope, but there's always that lure of it, right? That's what keeps the characters going. That's kind of why we have the trope of the wow. final girl, right? Yeah. It's just who was able, who was the best survivor and it, it doesn't necessarily mean they sacrificed anybody to get there sometimes that happens in these stories i mean shit when we played man of medan my god we wanted chad to die so bad we're just like chad. send you out we're gonna sacrifice oh, you oh god yeah <laughs> like, oh my god we did not like him we did not like him but did did he deserve it well no no, no, I no, mean, we can do no, that. Didn't. It, yeah, you know, you separate it from, yeah, you know, but then you have stuff like, but, but even, see, here's the thing. Here's the other aspect of that, that even some thing horror that ends completely dark, hopeless, even, even yeah. some, a piece that ends like that. One, there could be the possibility of glimmers of hope and there you will see bright sparks of humanity and it, even before mm -hmm. the darkness closes in. And two, you, you know, you can't forget the most important aspect of art. Well, not the most important. I mean, there's mm -hmm. artists, but an important aspect, I guess I'd say, which is the consumer. Yeah. Like the art doesn't end when the credits roll or you close the pages of the book. So even if it has no hope, you're still there. You're still there to reflect upon what it means to you and allow it to change you and change yeah. you into a more compassionate person for having witnessed the horrors through art that other people can do for each other. Which is why I always like to say, you know, horror writers are the most compassionate people because we're not afraid to look at the awful things that people can do. So we understand, Yeah, you know, we understand that, you know, get it all out, you know, so we have empathy you know you can't write good horror if you don't have empathy if you don't feel and you can't be horrified mm -mm. if you don't have empathy and compassion you just can't no. so therefore those and who write it have to you yeah know, you can always tell the horror that falls flat for people who just don't care that there's nothing there it's just it's just wanton sadomasochism mm -hmm. or just wanton gore or just wanton whatever or just wanton shock yeah. i mean don't get me wrong i love my shock but the good shock has purpose for it. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, it has a reason absolutely. for being there. And you can always tell the ones that are not good are the ones that don't have any heart in it. They don't have any empathy or human compassion or flicker of humanity in it because then you can't be horrified. There's nothing to be horrified by. Um, or the person who wrote it is too afraid to go there themselves. That's another thing too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, too afraid. Which, witches definitely not afraid to go there. <laughs> no, it goes there. Yeah. It definitely does. Went there and then some. And oh man, I just turned to the page where Charlie is confronting the police officer, and the oh, police yeah. officer is like taunting him, like, huh, you think I'm I'm your biggest problem? Look up, and it's just like roots of all the like the witches lair and everything yeah. and that's when you fucking realize like huh police officers in on it yeah <laughs> so. it's awful 
Yeah, like I said, you know, what people will do. What people will do. Well, anyway, what are we what are we doing next time? What are we doing? I think I think I think we've kind of gotten as hopeless as we're gonna get a little bit. Yeah, but I think there's going to be uh we're we're taking a little lighter turn next week. (laughs) Yeah, we realize we've been really heavy and deep. So, yeah not so that this what we're doing next isn't horror but it's not as it's got humor too it's fun horror it's like comedy horror but it's obviously still got deep meaningful relationships in it and everything else but it's a lot it's easier to laugh at so um go ahead and pick up your kindle or go order this book somewhere because we will be discussing my best friend's exorcism which is the uh two, 2016 novel by grady hendrix yes and i believe we're going to have perhaps an appearance special, oh, mm, special, special guest i don't know maybe maybe, uh, maybe maybe i don't know uh, who could it be who could it be who could it, who could be? it be who we pull it out of the box <laughs> who are we gonna pull out of the box Oh wow! Yeah, who's in the coffin? What's in the coffin? <laughs> in the coffin. Yeah. Oh, that's what that should be. Uh, what what we do in the shadows? We should just read yes. this rename the podcast. Which to, we will do or something. Tell us what's in the coffin. Tell us what's in the coffin. <laughs> yeah, we are gonna do that one. If, and Get them all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so yeah next time my best friend's exorcism by Grady hendrix um give us a follow on twitter we are at the box underscore podcast let us know how you're liking our episodes so far if you if there's anything you would love for us to discuss if you have comments you know we'd like to get on twitter we are pretty chatty pretty chatty gals so don't be afraid to hit us up on there um we, you can find all of our other episodes on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. Um, so yeah, if, if you haven't listened to the rest of them yet, I mean, there's just, there's just no excuse for it. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're already getting that 80s, 80s preparing for next time. Preparing. Like, <laughs> preparing oh my God. Next time. God, Karen. <laughs> Karen. I told you, don't spread the blood in my direction. <laughs> this is cashmere, okay? Like- oh my God, I know how to get stains out of a sweater. Okay, I went to prom. <laughs> <laughs>